Thank you for your patience. Okay, so you know who I am. I don't need to introduce myself to you like I do in quite, did quite the same way this morning at the 11.30, but I'm Holly, and it's great to get to speak to you on the fifth week of our series, Church on Fire. This is our series looking through the book of Acts um, of how those first churches grew and what they looked like. And this week, as Tom has already mentioned, we're, we're looking at a bold and courageous church and what gives them that boldness. So I've got a couple of questions for you to start off. Have you ever felt frozen in a situation and you're thinking, oh, I could share something about the comfort that I've received from God in this situation, but you feel like you can't and you feel frozen for that situation. I can see some nods, some avid nods from the front there. Thanks, Miley. Um, Have you ever left a conversation and thought, oh, I wish I'd offered to pray for them? Or, 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 Or thought to yourself, I could have just said, oh, I'll be praying for you about that. Have you ever seen injustice in the world, seen something that's not right, something that Jesus had something to say about, and you've been held back from speaking out because of what other people might think if you shared justice, if you shared the good news? I can definitely relate to all of these examples. Um, At some point in my life, I have been I've experienced all of those things. And I think that this passage that we're looking at tonight has um, an answer for us. It has, it, it has an answer for that wrestle that we feel when God is prompting us to do something and the actual doing of it. This passage urges us to be a bold and courageous church. And I think it teaches us how to do it. So we're going to go through this passage bit by bit. Now, I read a lot of stories, okay? I've got a five-year-old and a six-year-old, and at about 6.30 p.m., if I'm not here, I'm on the story chair in my son's room, and I am reading most likely Alfie books. I don't know if you are familiar with those, but books about Alfie, they get read a lot in my house. And one of the greatest things about the book of Acts, I think, is that it's like a history tale, isn't it? It's a retelling of events. So the order of things, it really matters, They explain what's happening and then the response to that. Like if I started Three Little Pigs, where the point in the story is that the pigs leave the big bowl of hot soup out for the wolf, it would look like those pigs were really out of order, wouldn't it? It it wouldn't quite be the whole story. Um, So let's get the lead into this passage right if we're going to understand it fully and, and go through it. So beforehand, okay, just like Tom mentioned, next week we're celebrating Pentecost. Well, Pentecost happened. And the Holy Spirit came. And Peter, the same guy who walked on water, and the same guy who denied Jesus to the authorities three times, he preaches the good news of Jesus and thousands put their faith in him, in Jesus. They're baptised and they begin being church devoting themselves to teaching, to prayer, to eating together and to Holy Communion, and they keep growing in number. And then Peter and John are on their way to the temple and they heal a man who couldn't walk. 
And when people saw this, they came running to them and they were astonished. It says in Acts 3.11, they were astonished. And all those that gather round, Peter proclaims Christ to. He told them about Jesus. This got them in trouble. Big trouble. They were questioned before the rulers and the elders of the city for healing this man outside of the temple and for preaching about Jesus. Now, these are the very same people that put Jesus to death. And Peter answers their questions by saying that Jesus Christ, the one that they crucified, he's the one that healed that man. And it is through him alone that salvation comes. Wow. What boldness. And that's where tonight's passage comes in. So like I say, we're going to walk through it and I'm going to pull bits out as we go. So Acts 4, starting in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and of John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let's pause there. Peter and John spoke in such a way about God and what he had done that even though those listening didn't agree, they took note. These men had been with Jesus. Picture for a moment your tomorrow, wherever you might find yourself tomorrow. Picture someone that maybe you're going to speak to whether that's in person, on the phone, in your household. Imagine them taking note that you had been with Jesus. Let's go on, verse 15. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak. We must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So the authorities say to Peter and John that they literally can't do anything. They can't keep them in prison. They can't kill them because everyone believes them. And they can see the evidence of the miracle of God right in front of them. So they just say, don't do it again, okay? Verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Okay, so my first point is whose opinion matters. 
I don't know what you think, but as I read this part of the passage, Peter and John are literally in prison being questioned, and yet they seem to me to be entirely free. They are completely free in Jesus. They stand there and boldly proclaim the message of the cross to the very people who put Jesus on the cross. Their freedom is not a human freedom. It's a divine freedom. How many times have I felt so concerned with what other people may think of me if I say this or do this or choose to live this way? This concern can permeate everything, I think. Even down to how free we might feel in worship. What might my friend think if I raise my hand? And at that point, I think we're captive to the opinion of other people whose opinion matters. If we want to be free from the opinion of opinions of people, I think we have to submit ourselves to God's opinion. Peter and John's response to the rulers trying to stop them preaching is, as for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have heard. We can't help but talk about Jesus. I pray that's our response. When there's opposition in this world, when the message of Jesus is challenged, I pray that we just wouldn't shut up, that we would keep telling people what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection. This is what Jesus has done in my life. He's changed my heart. He's made me a new person. He has forgiven me of my sins and he's given me a hope that is greater than death. We cannot be quiet about that message. Whose opinion matters? Let's go on. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. We'll come back on to what they prayed in a moment, but let's just pause here in the middle of verse 24. My first point was whose opinion matters. My second point is where do you go? On their release, they went to their own people, didn't they? They went to their church family. And this is one of the greatest blessings of being part of a church, you have friends who have become family in Jesus. When you're hurting, when you're going through difficulty, when you feel persecuted for standing up for the gospel, you don't have to ball up in a hole of isolation. You can go to your family. Where do you go? There are other places that we can go to for comfort or even more likely in today's culture, is to numb ourselves to reality. Do you see this? I see this in my life. The scrolling, the gaming's not a bad thing, but the endless gaming, the YouTube, this is numbing in our culture. And if you find yourself searching for strength and rest in places other than the arms of God every time things get tricky, then this passage shows us that we're going to the wrong places. Where do you go? 
They explained what happened, didn't they, to their church family, how they had been persecuted and what was said to them, don't tell anyone about the name of Jesus. And the church's response? To pray. What would you pray? You've just been arrested, okay? Maybe it's in your school, in your workplace, outside your house in front of all your neighbours. You've been arrested. The police come, they cuff you in front of everybody and they put you before a judge. Everyone, and the judge says, everyone believes you, so I can't keep you in prison for very much longer. I can't punish you, but don't speak in the name of Jesus again with your neighbours, with your work colleagues, with those on your hockey team. Don't speak about the name of Jesus. What would you pray? My kids love to play Uno. I'm going to assume that most of you have played Uno, or at least know what it is. It's a card game. And in the game of Uno, there's a very powerful card, the Pick Up Four card. It's very powerful. And when Evelyn and Ruben, my kids, play Uno together, and the other one plays a Pick Up Four card on them, it's carnage. There's an eruption. I hear it. No matter where I am in the house, I will hear that. Um, You can't play that card on me. You're not allowed to. That's not fair. Mom, tell him. You can tell I've heard this a lot, can't you? The game suddenly got a lot harder for them. And rather than work through it, sometimes I just take all the pick up four cards out of the game before they play, (laughs) making it that little bit easier for them. But I think that their response to difficulty in the game can sometimes be like my response, maybe our response to life. Sometimes that's what we ask God, isn't it? Would you make things easier for me? Would you make my path easier? That's what we pray for. I speak for myself here. Rather than pray for provision, when is the last time I prayed, Lord, would you help me decrease my covetousness, my jealousy for things that other people have? When's the last time I prayed that? This week, actually, because I prepared this message. But still, how often do we pray those kinds of prayers? Now, I'm not saying that praying for things to get easier is bad or wrong. Absolutely not. We do need to pray that God will make ease for us sometimes. But as I study this passage, it seems to say something different when it comes to sharing our faith with others. Maybe when it comes to sharing our faith... What we need as a church is to be praying, not Lord, will you make it easier for me? Would you ease my burden? But Lord, would you make my shoulders stronger? Would you help me to walk through this instead of taking it away? God loves you and he loves me and he wants good in our lives, but good is not always the easy way. Let's look at their prayer. Peter and John's church family hear what they've gone through after they shared, and their response is to raise their voices and pray, picking up halfway through verse 24. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, even Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and all the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, your servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So what's their response to persecution and oppression? Sovereign Lord, they acknowledge that though the world may oppose Jesus, the world belongs to Jesus. Everything in the universe belongs to God. No matter how stormy things might be, God's throne is not shaken. They don't start with a request. They recognise and declare that this world, with all of its difficulties, belongs to God alone. He is sovereign Lord over everything that takes place. What a perspective to set in the face of difficulty for their faith. They pray this world is difficult, but it belongs to the one who calls me his child. He made the heaven and the earth and everything in it. And then they appeal to God's word, don't they? We get this extract from Psalm 2. It's quite a mocking psalm about those who are trying to thwart the work of God. We haven't got that much time to sort of go deep into it. But these early Christians, they looked at what God's word had to say about their situation. And then in verses 27 and 28, even this, they say, even the conspiring against Jesus with Herod and Pontius Pilate, even this was fulfilling the purposes of God. They are declaring in their prayers again, the complete sovereignty of God. Everything is in his hands. All of the raging of the nations. The Greek word here for raging is like shaking your fist at the sky or banging your head against a wall. It literally accomplishes nothing. That's how effective it is. And that's what they're saying about those that oppose God. It accomplishes nothing because God is already sovereign. The world belongs to God. And that truth gives them boldness. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's the very thing that got them into trouble in the first place, isn't it? Healing in the name of Jesus. And what do they say? More, Lord. More healing, stretch out your hand and heal and give us boldness to speak out your word. Maybe you can relate to me that you may have prayed for things to get easier when it comes to sharing our faith. But my final point is what do you pray? This, I think, is a biblical plan for overcoming the fear that we feel in our hearts about sharing Jesus with others. And it's twofold. Firstly, acknowledge that this world belongs to God. It's not a secular world, it's God's world and God is sovereign. And second, 
Ask for the boldness that comes from the filling of the Holy Spirit. When you call upon the name of the Lord, you are forgiven of your sins. You are born again and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the very same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. If you are a believer in Jesus, he dwells in your heart and he gives you power and authority to share the gospel even in a hard and hostile world. When that makes you fearful and you don't feel like you can do it, ask yourself these three questions. Whose opinion matters? God's alone. Where do you go? Share with your friends that have become family in Jesus and go to God in prayer. And what do you pray? Declare the sovereignty of God and ask for the boldness that comes from the filling of the Holy Spirit. Amen.